think I've always been a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not one who likes to conform, which is funny because I spent 15 years in corporate. I'm okay walking to the beat of my own drum. My name's Cassandra Worthy, and I'm a model minority. Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking enough about. Whether you're Black, White, Brown, Yellow, Gay, Straight, Boy, Girl, or anything in between. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's show, we're talking to Cassandra Worthy. Cassandra is a speaker and change enthusiast. I cannot even describe the sheer energy and enthusiasm you better get ready for on this this episode. She is a firecracker, for sure. She kind of comes in and her her energy is infectious. Absolutely. Yeah, get, get ready. Turn the volume down just a little bit. But uh, <laughs> it's, this, one's, this one's pretty fun. Yeah. So what's interesting about Cassandra is that she told us a lot about her life and her early beginnings, as all of our guests do. But she's, she mentions one thing that really stands out to me, and that is that she wanted to be a meteorologist when she was young. And the reason behind that is because she used to be really afraid of thunderstorms. And so she thought if she were a meteorologist, she would be able to predict and forecast when these storms would be coming so that she could better prepare for that. And I feel like that's like a life lesson or like a life skill. And she's such a, I mean, she's a scientist by training, so it kind of makes sense. And I think another story she talked about was when she was growing up, her and her parents saw Ben Carson on TV. And, you know, before he was a politician, he was this very famous neurosurgeon, a black neurosurgeon. And that just kind of led her parents to have something to point to, you know, like you could be this. And Mm -hmm. I never thought about it that way because growing up Indian, there was there wasn't other than like the legend of Gandhi, there was no popular Indian person out there. Uh, the best I could come up with off the top of my head is like Sanjay Gupta. But by yeah. that point, I was far gone. I was in my twenties. Yeah, I don't know. Did your parents like point to Michael Chang on TV? Sharon? No, Mm-mm. no, there were no. I was not athletic at all. But <laughs> but Cassandra was. She was a Ironman athlete, and she competed. I think it was four different sports teams in high school. So kind of amazing, like not just a scientist, but also an athlete, which is an interesting combination. Yeah. And then we got into some really personal stuff about kind of where her life kind of changed before and after drinking. And we even spoke a little bit about relationships. Yeah. One thing that she did talk to us about with relationships is how supportive, absolutely supportive her parents have always been with all of her choices. And We'll hear a little bit more about that because I don't want to spoil it, but it was just kind of, it was a really nice way that, you know, her mom has been a big part of her life and super supportive of her choices, whether or not they were mainstream or maybe a little bit off the beaten path. Look, I'm going to spoil it. So, because it's not a big (laughs) deal. That's because I'm just gay and and Cassandra is black, if you didn't kind of get from the Ben Carson statement. And being gay and especially in ethnic communities, 
there's trouble with acceptance in older generations. But in the black community, my observation and understanding had been that it's kind of hard to be a gay black person. But what we heard, not just from Cassandra, but even from another guest is the support that these people have from their their parents, especially their their mother. And maybe that's part of what drove them to become a model minority. They weren't held back by that almost stereotypical discrimination in their own community about their sexuality. And I just found that really interesting. And maybe it's just our guests, because they're just such, you know, I don't want to call them type A, but like, well achieving Mm -hmm. people who have looked past some of these things. And yeah, the other thing what I actually really enjoyed giving Cassandra a hard time with was about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's single. And I was like, come on, dude, we, we've known each other for so long. What's going on? Right. I had to right. promise that her mom didn't put me up to, <laughs> to this on the podcast. <laughs> you did. You sort of, you call it Indian momming, right? You kind of Indian mommed her. You're like, so what's going on with your love life? <laughs> I do it to every, all, all the people I really like. I, I Indian mom them. But no, we, we did talk about opposites, right? Because like me, something her and I have in common is we seek out our opposite. What, what about you, Sharon? Are you and your husband, are you more the same? Or are you more different? We're sort of, we're a combination. We're kind of, we're very much the same for, I would say, a lot of the core fundamental things, but we're super opposite in other ways. Like my husband is, he gets really energized by going out at night and being like super social. I mean, like, I mean, we're we're in our forties now, you know, and he like, if you gave him any choice, like to do anything on a Friday night or Saturday night or like any night of the week, he'd probably choose to go clubbing and like literally have like a, a night out. And I would probably just literally want to be in my sweatpants and watching Netflix. So we're, <laughs> we're opposite in that way. Nice. Yeah. And Cassandra definitely touched on that as well with, you know, trying to find her, her partner in that way. That was very complimentary yeah. to who she is. We talked a little bit about work too, because she we've all kind of left corporate America, our, <laughs> Sharon, you, myself, and Cassandra, and we had kind of compared notes on what it was like leaving and kind of taking that leap of faith on the, to, to work on something else, something bigger, mm-hmm. something more core. And it's just really high energy conversation. You got to listen to it. You got to turn the dial down a little bit, but you're going to have a lot of fun with our friend, Cassandra. Well, so Cassandra, I want to jump right in. Like a lot of people might know about your background, your speaker, your trainer, you know, you came up through corporate America, but what they don't know is who you were before that. Can you tell me a story of something that shaped you when when you were a kid, something that happened when you were younger? Oh man. So I think before I was all of this, I have always been just an insatiably curious kid. (laughs) And I, I still feel that way, that childhood sense of awe. I've always asked a lot of questions and you know, kids ask questions, the whys and the what's, but mine was incessant (laughs) because I just, I had so many questions of the mysteries of the world around us. And so I think that's why I naturally gravitated towards science and math. I always tell people that science and math chose me because they created or armed me with these tools that I could use to explore those questions of the mysteries that I had in life. And so I just, I love that. I love science and math from when I, you know, from ever since I can remember when I was younger. And I think that insatiable curiosity has really kind of sculpted who I am and who I continue to become, right? Continual evolvement. Well, what did you want to actually be when you grew up? 
So the first thing that I can remember wanting to be is a meteorologist. And the reason I wanted to be a meteorologist is because I was terrified of storms. And I figured, because I saw these people on the news with the radars, and it's like, they are a step ahead. They know when it's coming. So if I could be a meteorologist, I will always be safe because I'm going to have the tools to know when the storm's coming and I can get shelter before anyone else. So that was my first career aspiration. (laughs) I have so many questions for you about that. Like, like whether or not you always need to know the future, like whether or not you need to plan ahead. Gosh, that's a deep read into it. I don't think it was yeah. that deep, Sharon, to be honest with you. I really just think it was the fear of, of storms and tornadoes. I grew up in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta. And so there were a lot of you know tornadoes and a lot of severe storms. And I was always really fearful of them. And so I thought that if I could be a meteorologist again, I would have, I would have the insight. You know, I would have the know. Of course, it didn't dawn on me at the time that these people are working during the storms. <laughs> so right. I, I can't just go to a basement as a right. meteorologist. I'd actually have to work <laughs> and hide. Things. Yeah. And, <laughs> right, right. That's, you know, but as a kid, I was like, all right, they got the tools. They're going to know they're safe. But yeah, that's why I don't think it's a, a matter of needing to know the future. Okay. Did you actually know the term meteorologist? Because I, I, did. I didn't even know that. <laughs> wow. I totally did. You're so much, I totally did. You were a smarter yeah. kid than me. <laughs> I totally did. But I will say that was a very short stint. That was a short career aspiration because I overcame those fears of storms. And the next aspiration was one that stuck with me for a very, very long time. So I remember when I was sitting in the living room with my family and we were watching an award ceremony and I saw someone come up and get an award for being the first pediatric neurosurgeon to successfully remove Siamese twins from the brain. And it was Dr. Ben Carson. And I saw him on that stage. He was well-dressed. He was well-spoken. He was being applauded and awarded for scientific feat. And then I looked up how much neurosurgeons make, and I'm like, yep, that's what I'm going to be. <laughs> so from, this is in the fourth grade. So from the fourth grade all the way until sophomore year of college at Georgia Tech, if anyone asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I said, pediatric neurosurgeon. That was the path that I was on. So to dig in a little bit, you know, so Ben Carson. Yes. But you're black. You're black. And you saw am, this black spoken surgeon. And so was that part of it or was it just, oh, awesome neurosurgeon or was it, wow, I see, you know, a black guy who's doing all these things. I could be that person. Like, how did that happen? It was definitely a part of the fact that he was black, for sure. Seeing that it was someone who who looked like me, who, again, was sharp, well-dressed, well-spoken, you know, being applauded for this huge scientific feat, that definitely played into it. And he continued to be kind of a, a role model for me. And I actually had the, the pleasure of meeting him when I was at Proctor. He came and spoke, and I met him. But yeah, him being African-American was was a big, a big part of that. Yeah. So- I'm from Alabama, like fellow Southerner. And anytime people find that fun fact out about me, they're like, oh my God, what was it like? You know, did, did you see some stuff? And I'm like, well, I saw a couple of things. And yes, I did experience some racism <laughs> in a mild way, but I grew up in the Burbs. But again, the name of the show, right? Model mm-hmm. Minorities, It origin- the term originates from kind of what they called Asians in a way. So it wasn't that bad, but I did experience and see things. But as a black little girl in Atlanta, what was your experience in the South in, you know, I'm assuming like the 80s and 90s? 
Yeah. So I'll say that it was actually much like you. So I grew up also in the suburbs of Atlanta. So I was in Cobb County. For those of you unfamiliar, it's outside of the perimeter of Atlanta. And it was a really a quite kind of affluent high school that I went to. The name of it was called McEachern. And it was a high school that had been transformed from a women's college. And so the school had this expansive campus and it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous in a town called Potter Springs. And I was actually one of very few people of color when I was attending that school. And so growing up, most of my friends were not minorities. Most of my friends were white, actually. And I never really can remember experiencing any you know, overt racism or, you know, people looking down on me because of who I was. And I don't know. And I'm, I feel very blessed in that, in that respect, but I think it's just the environment that I grew, grew up in and the friends that I had and that they always were very accepting of me. Did you ever feel like there were moments when you had to do anything to fit in in any way? I think I've always been a rebel. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't care to fit in. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really feel that urge or that need. And I'm not one who likes to conform, which is funny because I spent 15 years in corporate, but I'm okay walking to the beat of my own drum. And there were people who gravitated towards me and the fact that I was fine being me all the time. And so I had my, you know, group of friends. I was also very much involved in athletics. And I think being involved in team sports, just created this sense of community and and belonging just and being in athletics and sports. And and so I think that probably helped fulfill any sense of needing to fit in because, you know, I was an athlete. And so I had a team that was accepting. And not only were you an athlete, you won the Ironman award in high school. I did. I did. And they called it the Ironman. It should be the Iron Person. Or in your case, the Iron Woman. I just think it should be the Iron Woman. The Iron Woman. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You get it for lettering and three sports for three years consecutively. So I played varsity volleyball, so it's track and like field, a sports and got. basketball for three years in high school. It is. Yeah, it is. It's a sports yeah. EGOT. <laughs> That's what it is. Exactly. <laughs> and so you mentioned wanting to be a ne- pediatric neurosurgeon up until, was it junior year of college? Sophomore year of, of college, correct. Oh, sophomore year of college. And then what happened? Why the shift? So I talk about how I have this insatiable curiosity. Well, what I did is I turned that curiosity within. And I started asking that little fourth grader who had seen Ben Carson on the stage, why? Why do you really want to become a neurosurgeon? And I had to do a a gut check. And I had like three reasons. That little fourth grader told me three reasons. One reason was that I wanted to make a lot of money. And I know that, you know, neurosurgery, you're going to be well off. The other reason is that I really wanted to help people. I wanted to be a part of, you know, making someone's life better, healing someone in some way, helping somebody in some way. And the third is that I wanted to wear scrubs to work, (laughs) which which are basically pajamas. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I, I wanted to wear pajamas to work. Those are the reasons. And when I thought about those and the fact that with neurosurgery, you've got to go through four or five years of medical school and then nine to 11 years of residency, or at least that was the requirement at the time. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a long road. 
It's a long road. And those reasons didn't really hold enough water for me to continue to pursue what would be 15 or 16 years of my life committing to making that career happen. And so at the time I was pre-med biology. And so I said, you know what, I can switch to chemical engineering because a lot of my credits will transfer over. I'm still able to do cool science and math stuff, which I enjoy. But after I graduate, if I don't want to pursue medicine, I can get a really well-paying job. And that's what I did. And I never looked back. (laughs) You know, it's funny when I think about those reasons, with exception maybe to scrubs, although I'm sitting here right now in my pajama pants. <laughs> so. You came full circle. Cassandra Worthy, you came full circle. You are working in your pajamas. <laughs> I am indeed. And I'm helping people, like I help inspire and invigorate people going exactly. through change. And I do, I mean, I do okay financially, but yeah. The fourth grade you is so proud of you right now. <laughs> She's so proud of me. Thank you. So proud. <laughs> Yeah, I love her. You've made it. She's she's amazing. (laughs) And that was kind of your career trajectory. How do you think you're different today than you were as a kid growing up? It's funny. I think a lot of who I am at my core, insatiable curiosity, immense positivity, boundless joy, you know, a lot of enthusiasm, seeing the good in people. I don't think any of that has changed. I think that I have learned how to leverage what I I feel those to be like my gifts. And I feel I've learned how to steer those gifts in a way that's going to best serve serve the world's population. I think, if anything, the changes has been the learning and the development and the experiences that I've had in growing up and coming into adulthood, right? Because it's it's really our experiences that kind of shape and mold us and shape that what I think to be starting eternal material, right? That beautiful light, the infinite energy that, that animates us all. That has been unchanging within me. And I strive to remain in tune with that while, you know, being open to the experiences that will continue to grow, evolve, and shape me. Yeah. So that sounds pretty spiritual. And being spiritual and being religious are two different things. But I got to ask, again, fellow Southerner, are you religious? I am not religious. And, you know, I know it's going to sound cliche, but, you know, I don't assign to any particular religion, but I am incredibly spiritual. And I have an appreciation for all religion, which is, you know, the founding, creating structure and framework to a belief, you know, a belief system. You know, I'm a huge proponent believer, Right. And so uh, I live my life in a very spiritual way. And I, I would say my foundational belief is that we are all one. The new wave religions like Ernest Holmes have really spoken to me in, in science of mind because I am an engineer. I'm very fact oriented, science, math based. Right. And so I think of it in energetic terms and the fact that we are all energy vibrating at different frequencies, right? And we're this, it's just this huge energetic soup and we're all within the soup, right? And, you know, I love the analogy of every individual being a cup of God, you know, from the ocean. And so, yeah, I'm an incredible spiritual person. And that's so opposite also from your scientific background, you know, because oftentimes those two philosophies don't mix. And so it's really interesting that you've had such an academic a scientific academic background and you've become this spiritual person. Did something yeah. happen in your adulthood to kind of switch that on? Like, was there a moment where that suddenly, like that spark became what it is today? There was. I think that I've 
I grew up in a church, right? So I, I grew up Christian. So I've always had that kind of backing. And I think that I've always been on a spiritual journey. And I talk about insatiable, you know, curiosity. And that question asking is the same when it comes to belief and the question of why. Why am I here? Why are we here? So I've always had those questions. I would say that the moment that kind of really shifted things for me is when I quit drinking. <laughs> I was an incredibly heavy drinker going through college. How, how old were you? How old was I when this happened? Gosh, this was like five or six years ago. So I was an adult. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. 33, actually. But yeah, I was always a very, very heavy drinker through college and kind of continued through corporate life. Even though, you know, I did very well in work, I was always looking forward to the weekend parties, right? But I had an incident with the law and I had a DUI scare and it woke me up. And as a result of that, at three o'clock in the morning, this was a day after I got arrested, I had what I know to be a vivid spiritual awakening. And, you know, I, I had this moment of clarity where this is not worth it. You know, all of this, you know, all of the fleeting nights of fun and joy, it's just not worth it. And when I stopped drinking, the clarity that came was insane. <laughs> insane. And I, I just became, you know, that curiosity just ran rampant in every which way. And I really started full-fledged on the spiritual journey. And yeah, so I would say that that was a seismic shift in my life's trajectory. And it was actually after that happened that I started questioning, how am I going to leverage these natural talents and gifts in a much bigger way to serve the world's needs? And that's when I started pursuing what I have cultivated and created in my consulting firm. Tell us about that. My consulting firm? Yeah. Tell us about how you're using your consulting firm and the fact that you're a speaker and a coach. Yes. What, what do you do? Tell us about what you do. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. So I am founder and CEO of a firm called Change Enthusiasm Global. I also have a side business entity called We Are Change Enthusiasts LLC that focuses on certifying change enthusiast coaches. But it's really all about harnessing the power of emotion to fuel growth through change, transformation, and disruption. And I will tell you that the messaging is in high demand. <laughs> it's in high demand right now. And I feel like I'm, I'm, being, I'm being called because of what we're experiencing right now with, with COVID-19. But yeah, it's, I've cultivated a strategy that I've coined change enthusiasm. And oftentimes when I tell people that that's what I train and, and what my business is all about, I kind of get eye rolls because I'm, I'm a naturally very positive, upbeat, energetic person. They're like, oh my God, kill me. It's, <laughs> stop it. I'm struggling right now. Don't talk to me. But <laughs> so change enthusiasm, it's actually, it is a growth mindset, but it's a three-step process. And the first step is to recognize and embrace what I call the feels of change or disruption and the feels like anger or anxiety, or fear, frustration. These feelings and emotions that when you're going through transformation or change, the things you just want to run away from, right? You just want to escape. You want to leave. You don't want to be a part of it. But it, the first step is to recognize that these emotions are here for a reason. And they're here to serve us, right? So I call them signals. They are signals. And they signal us to a moment of growth and opportunity. 
And in the second step of this mindset, it's a matter of understanding and laying out what are my options? What are some things that I can do in this moment now that I've gotten these signals to my growth and opportunity? What can I do to maximize this opportunity to eventually reach a better feeling? Maybe to move from rage to just frustration. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So you're right. not necessarily going to go all the way from being enraged to complete bliss, right? No one's going to jump that far. It's like a spectrum. It's like controlling your weird path on the totally, spectrum, it sounds like. Totally, totally, totally. And it's up to us to transform those emotions, right? The emotional energy. And I say that it's an infinite well. We all have this well of emotional energy. And if we can consciously transform it, we can use it as fuel for our growth. And the third step is all about doing just that. It's making conscious choice to choose your better, to choose something that's going to bring you to the other side of that spectrum and really enable you to grow to your best self. And so that's what the mindset's all about. My keynotes are all centered within that mindset, leveraging the experiences that I had in corporate, going through a lot of acquisitions and a lot of culture clashes, feeling a lot of anxiety and fear and anger myself. And then I also have a lot of practical tools to apply the mindset, whether you're leading change or executing or going through change. So I want to ask a question. It's a little more personal, but like about that, right? So parents. So when I quit my corporate gig and I told my parents I was going to go do the startup thing, I'm actually on sabbatical. I'm now doing podcasts and a few other things. And again, look, I'm an adult. I've controlled my own life. But they're like, uh, what? We, we barely understood that marketing <laughs> thing you were doing before. We kind of understood it. And, and now you're going to a startup I've never heard of or this podcast thing? What's that about? And they didn't get it. They didn't. So what do your parents say when you start talking about spiritual energy and harnessing and moving people up and down the spectrum. (laughs) What do mom and dad say? I gotta ask as a fellow model minority. Let me tell you right now, my parents rock. My parents are the bomb. Yes, they're the bomb. And I will say that the guidance that my mom has given me has been an anchor in my life. And she told me that I can do and be anything that I want. She has told me that since I was very young and it's become kind of this fabric within me that I can do and be anything. And I think the other thing that helped them is even though I've stepped out and I'm doing my own thing, I'm an entrepreneur with my own business, I am still a very pragmatic person. I'm an engineer, so I have a very structured (laughs) structured way of going about things. I'm a proctoid. And if you're familiar with Procter & Gamble, I had success metrics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, for for what needs to be true for me to sunset my corporate career. And so I went about it in a very, very strategic way. And I think, you know, the way that I spoke about it, they knew that I was building this business for two years while still maintaining my job in corporate. They knew that my heart was in it, that my intentionality was behind it, and that I had every belief within me that it was going to be successful. And it was whether or not I had success, it was what I was meant to do. And it's what made my heart sing. And that's what they've always wanted, right? And I think that's what all parents want is for you to find that limitless joy to burst from within you. And I think they could see that light. They could see that joy and that energy when I spoke about the consulting, when I spoke about speaking in front of large audiences. And they just, they got stoked about it. Like, yeah, do it. When can we come watch you speak? <laughs> <laughs> I usually ask that question earlier on when you told me about, you know, what you want to be when you grew up? And, you know, some someone like, oh, I want to be a fireman. How'd your parents feel about that? Right. But you said neurosurgeon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your parents are like, yeah, yeah neurosurgeon. Exactly. That. Yeah, like, she's going to be it. all right. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's cool. And I agree. It's like, yeah, my folks, and sure, you can talk to this too. Like my folks didn't fully get it, but eventually they saw you're doing well, you're happy, you've got your head screwed on straight, you're a good person, you're not you're not dealing drugs, you're not, you know? <laughs> right. And ultimately that's what you want. But I think the construct, and I say this as a parent now, is I don't know what the world is. And so you tend to assign what you know. And you're like, well, here's the pre-subscribed things you should do. Here's the best I know. Right. Because parents aren't infinite, right? They don't, yeah. they're not omnipotent. And so for them, you know, they're like, oh yeah, neurosurgeon, black neurosurgeon. I didn't know that was a thing, but here's Ben Carson. Cool. Yeah. That's possible. Go do it. Same thing with engineering, right? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that they're on board with it. They're totally. And it's funny, a quick side note. So my mom has been a member of Toastmasters for many, many years. And oh, she also cool. enjoys, okay. enjoys so public speaking. And so she has seen the way that I've cultivated and creating this business and, and had a lot of success with it. And she's actually asked me to mentor her. <laughs> So I actually mentor her as she's working to transform and, and monetize her message as well. So it's great. Like I talk to her about business stuff and I'm helping her cultivate her her professional speaking business as well. So it's wow. it's cool. You're coaching your mom. I'm coaching my mom and she's been a point of inspiration for me, you know, for years and continues to be. And, and it's so, I don't know, it's heartwarming to know that I'm a point of inspiration for her. Cassandra, you're a better kid than I, because like, I like cringe at trying to explain Zoom to my dad. So um, <laughs> good on you. Yes. Let's, let's be real though. I do still have some struggle. With- <laughs> You know, we have to set aside specific times. And right. I can't be helping you all the live long day because I do have a job. I got work it to do. Funny. <laughs> so, yeah. funny. Yeah, parents are interesting. Like my parents own their own insurance business and they have the worst website ever, oh. like ever. And, and you're like a digital guru. I have, I have my, yeah, I, I run a digital marketing agency. So like I could probably honestly like get like a Squarespace template and just like build one out for them. And I just, I can't. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Bring I just actually can't. Like I've kind of tried to broach the subject. I'm like, Hey mom, I think maybe if you decided to take this in a more digital direction, like maybe I can help you create ads. She's like, no, we're okay. We're okay. Like, <laughs> like she doesn't want my help. And I'm also afraid to like offer my help. So God bless you, Cassandra for, <laughs> for I, I, a funny story. So there's this other podcast I'm doing where like I interview executives and I'm, I promise I'm not going to name drop, but so there's this executive that I'm prepping actually to interview later today. And, you know, we shipped him the mic and trying to get him on Zencast and all these things that we're doing. And I probably spent an hour with him and his wife helping them. And I'm like super patient. I'm trying to be like really cool with it. And I was, I was telling my wife about this last night. And I was like, it's so funny because this executive and his wife, they're like my mom and dad. Their behaviors, their mannerisms, their interactions with each other. But for me trying to explain all this tech to my mom and dad, I would be like, no, you don't get it, mom. Just quit. Whatever. <laughs> but with this other person that's not my parents, I turn on like charm mode right. and I don't know why that is. Right? Isn't that amazing? It's like the people that are so close to us and that we love the most, we oftentimes have the least amount of patience for, which is crazy. So, and I tell her, my mom is, I think the greatest teacher of patience that I've ever known and perhaps will ever know. <laughs> yeah. I think some of it's also the difference between friends and relatives. And this actually gets to another interesting point. So for example, with your family, no matter what you do, they're always going to love you. Now with my spouse, who's technically my friend that, you know, we've now decided to become family, but that's a decision. That's a choice. If I'm a total jerk to my parents, my mom will always love me. But if I'm a jerk to my spouse, peace out, right? To a degree. 
And so I think with friends, with whether it's my relationship with you or with Sharon or my wife or any of my other friends, it's like, it's a choice. So that's a pivot. I got to ask, like, how does your whole life manifest on the romantic side, like or friends and things like that? Like, is there someone else going on right now? There is not. There's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm she's completely busy, fine Robin. with that. She's got, she's got <laughs> way too much on her plate to deal with anybody else. Not a lot going on. <laughs> I'm also, I think that I am, well, I know I have always been an incredibly independent person. And that's from when I was little. You know, I can remember, and my mom tells a story. I must have been like four or five years old and I had a tummy ache and this was in the middle of the night and I was like, I had to rush to the bathroom because, you know, I was sick and vomiting and whatnot. And when I got done, like I started cleaning everything up on my own and my mom heard me and she came in there and she saw me cleaning up and she's like, why didn't you come and get me? And I'm like, I can do it. I can do it myself. So I've always been an incredibly independent person. And obviously I have a lot, I do have a lot going on with the business. And then the other thing is, you know, I get a lot of connection and a lot of invigoration from just working with my clients and, you know, being on stage in front of 1500, 2000 people, that's, that's a rush too. <laughs> so I get a lot of great connection just through the work that I do and I find a lot of meaning in it as well. So I am a full person as a single person, but of course I look forward to the day when I meet that person that's meant to walk this journey with me forever. He or she is going to have to keep up with you. You are she, a ball. She, 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 will she, will definitely, yeah. she will definitely have to keep up with you for sure. Well, it's interesting you say that because it's like one thing you say in there that's interesting is... Some folks are like, no, I'm good. I'm good on my own, right? And I'm okay with that. It sounds like that's, I promise, like your mom, your parents didn't put me up to asking. <laughs> like, <laughs> this whole podcasting's a ruse. Five minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> I'm calling my mom pressure. as soon as we get done with this, the pressure. I'm be like, do you know, Roman? What's, what's going right. on? <laughs> We're sending up a match.com account. Is that right? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh my God. I couldn't. I'm so scared of the idea of dating in this world today. That's the only reason the, the marriage has to work because I can't go back out there. It's so scary. It's definitely different. It's a different world. No, but it's like, I think you know what you want and you're finding your way there, whether it's with work or with life. And that that's really cool. I'm very actualized, so to speak. Yeah, it is. And then I also recognize, you know, obviously I've had past relationships and I think in romantic partnership, it's probably the best grounds for growth and evolution. And if you can leave yourself to be open to that, to growing through the challenge, and it's like when I'm in a relationship, I never have to practice change enthusiasm more. <laughs> Than the relationship because, you know, there are a lot of signals. There are a lot of signal fields because, you know, that person is helping you grow and develop and, you know, checking your blind spots and, and things that you've just gotten accustomed to being single. And when you're in a partnership, then it's about evolving and growing together. And so, yeah, I think the relationships are a breeding ground for evolution and growth, which is, again, why, why I'm open and look forward to meeting her. I just I wanted to get a little deeper into the relationship thing. I'm curious to know how mom and dad responded the first time you brought home a girlfriend to meet them. I had already come out to them before I even held How old were you when you came out? In high school. Okay. High school. Okay. Senior year. Senior high school, freshman year of college. Somewhere in there. <laughs> So yeah, they had already already known. And they've always been accepting. I think that it's been a journey for them 
it's a continual journey for them, I think. But never, ever was the door shut. Never, ever did their love fade. They've always been accepting and embracing. And I'm so, I'm so very grateful for that, that I have a family who's, who's so loving and supporting of me for exactly who I am. That's fantastic. I mean, Robin well, and someone I talk who- about this a lot because we're both in multicultural marriages, not with each other. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, you would kill me. You yeah, would kill me. Yeah, I, I'd yeah, kill no, you too. We, that would not look, that would not be good. <laughs> we're better as friends. Yeah. You know, I, I think parents always have an expectation. Like, you know, you've talked a lot about how your parents are, are very supportive and all of that, but like my parents always expected me to marry a Chinese guy and I didn't, you know? And so it's gender expectations too, right? Like I think if I had decided that, you know, I was a lesbian and wanted to marry a woman, I think it would have been the same thing like black guy or any race woman, like probably would have had the same kind of reaction that they, they gave my husband when they first met him. So it's, it's this interesting thing where yes, your parents love you and they all always support you, but there is this implicit unspoken sometimes expectation of what they think you would have been or what you should well, it's be. It's based in. on what they know, right? It's based and on what they it, know. It's based on what they know. Exactly. And I think they're getting to a point where, I mean, they fully em- embraced and know that this is who I am and never, ever am I going to bring home a man. But now they're getting to the point where they're like, okay, just meet her so that you can Right, exactly. Like, they, right. They just want <laughs> just hurry up already. Just hurry up already. Exactly. Yeah, 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 the bigger issue they have, Cassandra, is that you're single. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter what gender. Does not matter. I, uh, just bring home someone. Yeah, someone. <laughs> I have this buddy. He's Indian and he's gay. Mm-hmm. And he was single for a while. And, you know, there's with Indian people, it's like, yeah, you are going to marry an Indian girl or an Indian boy, whatever. But that was the, that was the story when he came out. I was like, would it be okay if I found an Indian guy? <laughs> like, would, would that be okay? <laughs> Just kind of like flip the expectation. Right. Yeah, that's hilarious. I love it. I love it. So, Cassandra, you're like super high energy. Like, I got to keep it. I'm like getting drained trying to keep up. But I guess the question is... <laughs> Actually, I have so many questions here, but like first one with the future misses mm. in your past relationships, do they have to meet your energy or are they complementary and the opposite? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like my wife is the opposite of me. I mean, she's more introverted, more, you know her, Cassandra, like I do, she'll Catherine. make the biting comment every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's very much my opposite. And I have other couples where they're both the exact same person, but Kat and I are like very complimentary. So what is for someone as high energy as you? Does the missus have to be at that level or not? I don't want to prescribe and say that she has to, but I will say that I am attracted to and gravitate towards the opposite. Introverted, you know, fairly low energy, but can still bring energy when needed. But I definitely am more attracted to those who are more soft-spoken and introverted. And it creates a nice a nice balance. I like to be kind of obnoxious and over the top. And I just enjoy someone who can <laughs> let, let me do that and not, and not get too embarrassed about it. <laughs> All right. So anyone who's listening that fits the bill. <laughs> yeah. And then also like respect I said, that. You know, you can see I am a very, very high energy person and I do consider myself an extrovert. That said, it is so important for me to have time to reflect and absorb just being by myself. So, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to go to a coffee house and just kind of be with people, but by myself (laughs) because I need time to sink within and, and need time to recharge and refill. And that's really important. So believe it or not, I too need quiet time and time for self-reflection. I'm not on like 10 all the time. 
because that that would be exhausting. <laughs> Just on your favorite podcast, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been really lucky, I think, and you know, either being so comfortable in your skin having sounds like just a really accepting kind of environment that you grew up in, but there's a lot of kids out there who aren't right. I mean, as a coach, as a trainer, whether it's in a corporate environment or at a school, when you meet someone who's not been as fortunate as you, right. And maybe has a similar background or et cetera. What advice do you want to give them? How should someone cope with it when they don't have all the support systems in place around them? Yeah. The one thing that I would say as challenging or, or as tough as it may be, you have to find a way to bring your authentic self and stick to those things that are true and resonate with you wherever you might be. I think that that is the most important thing for fulfillment and finding that infinite well of joy. You know, I found myself in a position when I went into corporate and I told you I'm not one who, who likes to conform. And I can remember my very first performance review, remember when this is when I was at Proctor, and my results were stellar, right? They were great, exceeding expectations. But the feedback that I got was I need to learn how to tailor my personal style for my audience. Because, you know, I was like, I didn't talk about being on 10. I would say whatever, obviously still talking about, you know, my results and everything, but I was very unpolished. I'll say unpolished. And so I had to find a way to, like they said, tailor my style, but in a way that did not lose or compromise who I was at my core. And so I would say that that individual needs to find a way, or my hope is they would find a way to continue to bring themselves, be who they are 100%, you know, while still hopefully fitting the environment that they, that they find themselves. And you might get to a point where, you know, who I am is just not going to be able to resonate in this current environment. And so I'm going to have to remove myself, which is fine because like I said, being who you are is so very important. Everyone is here for a reason. I firmly believe that. And, you know, you know, all the cliche sayings, it's better to be yourself than trying to be somebody else, right? You have to be yourself. Yeah. It's, you want to be in the situation that complements you best, right? That takes advantage of who you are. There, there is something to be said about tact and fitting in, but that should be a guardrail, not a ruling principle, I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's funny, once I identified, you know, my purpose and how I wanted to share my gifts, I was, like I said, I was working two jobs, the side hustle in corporate. And I started actually having more fun in my corporate role because I would find ways to leverage and bring my purpose and live my purpose still working in corporate. So injecting a lot of good energy into meetings, finding ways to uplift and energize people, talking about transformation and change and change enthusiasm while still in corporate. And so it's almost like it lit me up and made me even more excited about contributing in corporate, figuring out, you know, that true purpose and what I'm what I'm meant to do and what I'm meant to bring. Yeah, it's cliche, but to say, but it's like one plus one equals three, right? When you can yeah, get the best of yeah, both worlds. Definitely. So we're almost out of time, but we like to do something we call speed round now. Cassandra, are you ready for the speed round? I have no idea what it is, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a Cassandra answer. <laughs> it's, it's the best part of the show. <laughs> Let's do it. Speed round brought to you by Cassandra's mom. No. Um, 
<laughs> whole episode. Right. Exactly. You, by you know what's funny? Control. She's been texting me as I've been on this call. I'm looking at my phone. She's been texting me. So I'm telling you, I feel like it's a conspiracy here. But okay, go ahead. Cassandra, <laughs> <laughs> you're such an open book. So I feel weird asking you this question. But what's one thing about you that no one expects? I am actually a very emotionally guarded person. I am a very private person. And I hold a lot of things within. Most people would know. I'm an avid journaler. I journal every day. I've got about six or seven journals that I filled up, which is me kind of writing and getting that self-reflection and those inner thoughts out. But yeah, I hold a lot within. What's one place that you'd want to go back to? Hong Kong. Hong Kong is the bomb. (laughs) Hong Kong is the bomb. Hong Kong is the bomb. Yes. The food, the people, the culture, the sights, the sounds. Oh, love Hong Kong. Let's go there together. We'll plan a trip. Les, I'm down. I'm down. Perfect. What's a movie or a book or even a TV show that has characters that you really relate to? That has characters that I relate to. Yeah. That I relate to or that I just enjoy? Eh, You can do the other one. I really like New Girl. I really Why? enjoy the show Why? New Girl. I don't know. I just feel like I would hang out with all of them and we'd all have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but I okay, just, fine. Yeah. On New Girl, on New Girl, if you could only hang out with one of them, are you hanging out with Nick or are you hanging out with Jess or with Schmitty? Oh, man, Schmitty's so obnoxious. He'd be too much. I think he'd be too much. I think I'd hang out <laughs> no, with him. he'd be too much. He'd be too much for Cassandra. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like to observe Schmitty from a, from a distance, you know, and see how, how crazy he is. I think I'd hang out with Jess. I like I like her sarcasm and her wittiness and how silly she is. All right, next question. Speaking of mom, what's your favorite mom dish? My favorite mom dish? Oh, she makes the best dressing. The best dressing. Wait, and she actually just made some a couple weeks ago. She also makes amazing veggie lasagna, and she does a mean pound cake. She's a really good cook. <laughs> I can talk a lot about mom's cooking. She can tear it up. Nice. What's your least favorite food? My least favorite food? So I will say that I switched to pescatarianism about four or five years ago. So I don't do any, you know, poultry, beef, any of that. So that would be my least favorite. (laughs) All right. That's fair. Process of elimination. (laughs) Who's someone that you would want to interview for a podcast? And it could be somebody dead or alive. Oh, man. I really want to talk to Einstein. I really... No, you mentioned before how there seems to be a disparity or it's, you know, controversial thinking about science and and spirituality. But honestly, I think that they complement each other. And I think that Einstein knew that. And I think he felt that at his core. And he was like, he was a mystic. He was a spiritual mystic. And he recognized the interplay of science being tools to answer the questions of the mysteries, the greater mysteries of life. And I would love to chop it up with him if I could. He was amazing. Nice. So last question. You ready? Talk to me. What does being a model minority mean for you? A model minority. When I hear that, and I love that it's an alliteration, when I hear that, my mind immediately goes to model. And I, of course, I think about role model. And so for me... Anyone who is a minority is a model minority because your behaviors can become role model behaviors for anyone who is watching. So 
you know, whether you are someone who's who's slinging drugs, whether you're someone who is looking to to bring out the worst in people or looking to berate people, whether you're someone who's a CEO, someone who's working in business, your behavior, there are people who are watching and you have become a role model, you know, in the behavior. So that's why I think it's very important that we are very intentional about our behaviors, about our actions, because you never know who's watching and just ensure that those behaviors are in tune with your purpose, that they are on purpose. Wow. I feel like that was a quote that we can use. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, thank you, Cassandra, for spending this time with us. You've brought so much energy and so much passion and a lot of fun. It was a pleasure to get to know you today. Thank you. You guys are rock stars. I appreciate this. This is fun. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For more about this episode, links to things mentioned, or to join the conversation, visit modmypod.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. You know, there's a greater effort now to try to connect with more founders. So it's trying to do more, like some groups are doing open office hours, or like I mentioned, we were participating in this event that was a pitch event with all diverse founders. It's making that extra effort to try and get outside your common networks and connect with others to really make up for what is clearly an unfair bias in our community, right? Because there are, I mean, there are all kinds of groups that are underrepresented, but it sort of, it puts the responsibility on us to, to try to reach out to other networks. And, and at the end of the day, they're like, and this is what will drive whether or not people have a good heart. I think at the end of the day, you're foolish if you don't understand the, the economic value of reaching out to diverse founders as well, right? If you look at our society, we're increasingly global, we're increasingly diverse. And if you're ignoring large swaths of the population, you're going to miss out. And so I'm hoping that will help naturally change things over time as well. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all auto minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.